Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Because Boaz says to Ruth, hearest thou not? And then he says, my daughter. He's not just saying to Ruth, hearest thou not? And left off the my daughter part. Because that would come across as cold, as sterile, as a lord over Ruth. Listen to me what I'm saying to you. He's not saying that. When Boaz says, hearest thou not my daughter, the my daughter part makes all the difference in the world because Ruth would say, now I really want to hear what you have to say because you're talking to me with the love of a father to a daughter. And aren't those the same words that Boaz said to Ruth, the same words the Lord says to us? See, wouldn't it be wonderful if we took our Bibles and we had these words printed on the covers of our Bibles, wouldn't that be great? If, if every time we opened up the, never mind, open if every time we grabbed a Bible and it said these words on the cover, hearest thou not my daughter or my son or my child? Hearest thou not? Wouldn't that be great if it was printed on the covers of our Bible? Because on the covers of our Bible, it would remind us the Bible's not just a cold, sterile book to us. The Bible are the words from my father to me, his child. And with those words on the cover of our Bible, every time we come to the Bible, we would hear Solomon's testimony from Proverbs 4, 3 and 4, where he said, For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. See, for 14 years, I watched my wife homeschool. Our three boys. She homeschooled our three boys for 14 years. And as I watched that, I thought, boy, homeschooling is the best because no one can teach with such a love like a parent, like a parent teaching her child because every time a mom in homeschool teaches her child, that child knows he is tender and only beloved in the sight of his mother. And so when Boaz says to Ruth, hearest thou not my daughter, it drives this question to us. Did we hear from our Heavenly Father this morning? I mean, that's a question. Did we? If I was to ask you, what did you hear from your Heavenly Father this morning before you came to church? What would you say? Did we leave our morning devotions this morning without hearing from God? Did he say about our time that we spent in the Bible this morning? Did you say, did you hear my, did you hear me, my child? Hearest thou not, my child, when I spoke to you? Every time we open our Bible, we should read these words. Hearest thou not, my child? Every time we open our Bible, we should say to God, I am determined to hear you, my father. Now, Ruth is very tuned in to the next words. Because the next words that Boaz says in Ruth in verse 8, 
Then Boaz said unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. She said, what he's saying is, don't leave. Don't go to another field. Stay here in my field. See, what do we see Boaz not saying here? See, Boaz is not saying, Ruth, it's nice you came to my field. I hope you have a good experience while you're here in my field. Feel free to leave if you want to. My field is always open to you. It doesn't matter to me whether you stay or you leave. It's totally up to you. Whatever you decide, I'm okay with it. Just make yourself at home while you're here. If I get up one day, find out you're gone, it's okay. It's fine. Whether you stay or you leave, doesn't matter. One way or the other, totally up to you. He's not saying that at all. That's not his attitude. See, he's not passive over this issue about whether or not she stays. He's saying, no. He's saying, actively, Ruth, stay. Stay in my field. Because he wanted to take care of her. And Boaz sees Ruth in this great need, and he wants to meet the need. Now, of course, it's ultimately Ruth's decision. She could say, no, I'm not going to stay. I'm going to leave. And now it's her, her decision. But with words like, go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, he's using all the persuasive powers he can to keep her from wandering off. And what we see in Boaz is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we're not here, we're not with the Lord Jesus Christ because we hold on to the Lord. We're with the Lord because he has a hold on us. He's our Boaz. He's saying to us, go not away, neither go from hence, abide here. See, when we open up our Bible and hear him say, hearest thou not my child, when we read about that, then we're going to read the words of John 10, 28. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. See, just like Boaz looking at Ruth with her needs, the Lord looks at us with our needs. And he says, they need eternal life. They need to not perish. And the Lord steps right up and says, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. And then he says, in order to keep us from going from him, in order to keep us stayed with him, he says, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Keeping his own from being lost, that was so much his priority, so much on his mind. I understand this. I have 13 koi fish. I've had them for 14 years. And those fish and I have gone through a lot of drama together, <laughs> which I talk to them about from time to time. And there was the drama of the raccoons coming at night, where I hear the water splashing. I jump up out of bed, grab the flashlight, see those little masked bandits down there in the water, nonetheless, and say, you know, the audacity of you and say other things and scare them away, see? And then there was the drama of the blue herons, and they're standing now in the pond with their big beaks trying to stab the fish. And again, more drama, and I go and yell at them. And when I go to feed those fish, you know, I sit down on a little bench there, and I think a little bit of the times, you know, the drama that we've shared together. And every time I sit on the bench, I just do something. I don't know why. I just, I can't. It's just by habit. You know what I do? I count them. I count them. I sit back, and I go, because they swim fast. I go, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, nine, ten. Okay, you moved. Okay, I'll start again. Because there's a jet black one that's very hard to see. But so if I count 12, then I stop counting. I just look for the jet black one anyway. So because... If there's anything splashing in the night, I rush outside with the flashlight and I do the count until I hit 13. 
And I can't go back to sleep till I count 13. I tell him, I said, I'm just like a Jewish mother. I'm fussing over you, the koi fish, making sure there's always 13 in the pond. Why? Because I have to make sure I haven't lost any. See, that's exactly what the Lord is talking about here. See, while he was here on earth, he was always doing the count. And he was fussing over them, doing the count all the time, the count every day, all the time. He'd make sure he lost none. Now, if my heart is on these 13 koi fish, how much more is his heart on his own that he should lose none and every day do his count so he could say, I lost none, I lost none. That was paramount to him. So that at end, when he comes now to his high priestly prayer, he says, Father, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. He counted them up. He left the earth. He didn't say, well, I did my job, and I didn't lose any, but it's not my job anymore. I'm done. So, you know, no, that's not him. He could not dump them out of his heart. Those stones that with the names of the tribes of Israel were over the heart of the high priest because he couldn't get them off his heart. Those stones with the engravings of the names were on the shoulders of the high priest because he bore their burdens. And when the father commissioned him to care for us and not lose any, we became embedded on his heart like the stones over the heart of the high priest in Israel, like engraved stones. And so he says, Father, I'm going, I'm leaving, but please don't lose any that I didn't lose. I'm no more in the world, but Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. He's saying, Father, I'm leaving, and I've kept them, but they're still in the world. I can't get them off my heart. They're on my heart. I'm going crazy like a man worried about his koi fish. I can't get them off my heart. I'm going to pester you, Father. I'm going to bother you. I'm going to nudge you. I'm going to prod you. I'm going to be a nuisance to you, Father, because I don't want to lose any. Please hold on to them tight, Father, tight. While I was in the world, I gave my life to not lose them. Now, just because I'm not in the world anymore, please make sure they're not lost. Please make sure. I don't want to see any of them lost. I don't want to see my blood in vain. Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. That's the holding power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the holding power of Jehovah Jesus. Moses taught about that to Israel. He told them in Deuteronomy 33.3, Deuteronomy 33.3, he says, yea, he loved the people. All his saints are in thy hand, and they sat down at thy feet Everyone shall receive of thy words. What a beautiful picture Moses painted for Israel. That verse, God, he said, here's, here's God's heart toward you. He loved the people. That's God's heart toward believers. He loved the people. Here's the reason why you're not lost. He, all his saints are in thy hand. Here's the reason why we're not lost. All his saints are in thy hand. Here's the position of believers. They sat down at his feet. That's what we do. Here's the activity of the believers. Everyone shall receive of thy words. See, it's the hand of God that holds his children. That's the hand the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about when he said about himself in Psalm 31.5, into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me. 
O Lord God of truth. See, we redeemed us. We came into his hand. Boaz wanted Ruth to stay in his field so that he could keep an eye on her, so that he could watch over her. That's the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he said to Simon in Luke 22, 31 through 32, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. See, why did he say Simon, Simon? It was an alert. Satan has desired to have you because Peter was on his radar. And he was watching Peter like a hawk. But he says, I prayed for thee. See, the but is so important there. Satan wants to take you, but I prayed for you. It just stops right there. I pray. It's the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the hour of trial, Jesus, plead for me. See, that stops Satan dead in his tracks. And then he says, I'm looking to the future. When thou art converted, you're going to fall. You're going to fall, but you're going to rise again. And when you rise again, Peter, it's going to be in a new conversion, a new repentance. And when that happens, you go and strengthen your brethren. You show that after this terrible experience, you show, for the which cause, 2 Timothy 1.12, for the which cause, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded he's able to keep that which I have committed against him against that day. He's able. He's the one who's able his hand is strong. That's why he's able. Now, we read, abide here fast by my maidens. So since Boaz had to say this to Ruth, it seems like Ruth was modest and she may be kind of like kept farther back. And Boaz has called her and says, no, 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 come up here, come up here, please come up to the front. See, and he wants Ruth to be protected among the other women. Now here we see Boaz, and he's making sure that Ruth has this favored position. See, the closer a person was to the maidens who were doing the binding job, the more that person could gather up. See, Boaz, he, he could have just given to Ruth, say, well, here, here's all the grain you need, but he didn't. He just made her work to be in a favored position. See, the closer a person was to the maidens, the more they got. He's just making sure that her work gleaned more, that she was more productive in the work that she did. And what we see in this first part of verse 9 is how Boaz just wanted to make sure that, that he just, that she, I just want you to stay in that favored position. So he says, all those instructions to make sure that she was productive. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us. That's what he does for us. You know, a year ago, our company entered into a new business of collecting plasma. We've never been in that business before. And it's an old business. And we had competitors. And we were told, it's going to take you three years, at least three years before you become established. Well, you know, one year ago we started, last year, one year we had 60 plasma donations per week. Yesterday, we finished our week with 1,517. That's a lot of plasma donations. And why? Because the Lord has put us in a Ruth position. The Lord, our Boaz, has put us in a Ruth position. He's made us to be productive we have such a great team. Every Thursday, we have a management meeting. Last Thursday, I just looked around the table, the managers, and I thought, you know, some people could look at these people and say, you know, they came here, applied for a job. I don't see that. I see people who were selected by God and who were placed there by God. Now, Boaz then addresses Ruth's next concern when she's, when he says in verse 9, let thy eyes be on the field. They do reap. Go after them. I've charged the young man. They won't touch you. See, here was a problem. See, Ruth, to be closest to the grain means she has to be closest to the men. The men are dangerous, especially if you're a single foreign woman. 
You're in danger of being molested. And so Boaz knew that. And so he put Ruth's fears to rest. He says, no one's going to touch you because they're going to have to deal with me. So no one's going to take advantage of you because I'm standing in between you and them. That's a picture of the Lord protecting us. You know, God called the prophet Jeremiah to the Jewish people, and he said, that's dangerous for me to go to the Jewish people and tell them they're going to be destroyed. And God said, don't worry about that, Jeremiah. Because in verse 8 of Jeremiah 1, Jeremiah 1, 8, he said, be not afraid of their faces, for I'm with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. And then that wasn't enough. So then in verse 19, in the same chapter, Jeremiah 1, 19, he said, they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee, saith the Lord, to deliver thee. And then in Jeremiah 15, 20, he said, I will make thee unto this people a fenced brazen wall. They'll fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee, for I am with thee to save thee and to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Seems like Jeremiah had a hard time believing that because he had to repeat it three times. But Boaz, he was caring for Ruth. And he cared for her, her, just the need of her thirst. He said in verse 9, he said, When thou art a thirst, go into the vessels, drink. Drink what the young men have drawn. He's telling her, there's no need for you to carry your water when you come here. Because, because I'll provide for that too. And so he's anticipating Ruth's needs. And he's diligent. You know what he's doing? He's doing what it says in Proverbs 31.20. She is speaking about the virtuous woman. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor and reacheth to the needy. See, when Boaz says to Ruth that here in the field, here's the water to drink, he's stretching and reaching for Ruth. See, God wants us to look at the needy and to stretch and reach. See, those words, stretch and reach, stretch and reach, they show us how to care, how to care. It's more than just a handout. It's a stretch and reach out. And so the verse shows us that what Boaz is going to this great trouble. And now we see Ruth's response in verse 10. She falls on her face. She bows herself to the ground. She says to him, why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? She fell on her face. That's not a polite bow from the waist. That's a falling to the ground. That means she's so overwhelmed with thankfulness, she makes herself flat on the ground. The Hebrew phrase expresses just as being so overwhelmed with gratitude. And it's, it's the same thing that was used about Abraham when he saw the three heavenly visitors coming to him in Genesis 18. In verse 2 of Genesis 18, it says, He lift up his eyes, he looked, and lo, three men stood by him. When he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door. He bowed himself toward the ground. Same Hebrew phrase. And then she says, Why have I found grace in thine eyes? that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, see I'm a stranger. She's asking this question, and when she asks this question, it gives us an insight into Ruth's attitude. See, when she says, when she asks a question, and she says, I found grace in your eyes, well, that's what she told Naomi before she left. Exact same words. She said, I'm going to find grace in the eyes. But then when she does find grace in the eyes, she says, why have I found grace in the eyes? See, in verse 2, she said, she said, I'm going to go find it. And then when she finds it in verse 10, she asked the question, why? She knew when she looked into the eyes of Boaz, she said, there's grace. I see grace. And she didn't walk up to him with a certain attitude and say, oh, so you're the person I was expecting to find. I trusted God. I knew there'd be a landowner here with grace in his eyes. Okay, so here you are, just as I expected. And by the way, what took you so long to show up? <laughs> she didn't have that attitude. Now, let, she, you know, she didn't have the attitude. Come on, let's get, let, let's get on with the grace routine here. Just show me where I can work. Show me where I can eat. Show me and get the word. Let's get the role straight. You're the grace giver. I'm the grace taker. So 
That's not Ruth. That's not Ruth at all. Because when she falls on her face and she says this, why she can't believe the grace that's been shown to her. She is so much not a person of entitlement. She is so thankful. She is so grateful that she's saying these things. And she just turns her back on, I deserve this. And she says, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this at all. That's why we don't find her complaining. That's why we don't find her accusing others for her situation. And whenever we're in a we-don't-want-to-be situation, whenever we have an unwanted health problem, whenever we have an unwanted boss, an unwanted spouse, or any other unwanted, we complain. That's what we do. It's the only thing to do. We complain. Someone else's fault. Get angry. Get bitter. We really say, and what we're really saying by that, I don't deserve this. I deserve better. I'm entitled. That wasn't her attitude. That was not her attitude. She said, why grace to me? And she falls in her face. She came into the field begging for crumbs, and her life was shaken by that. And like Pastor Jim used to say, you want to know what's inside the glass? Shake the glass. You want to know what's inside Ruth? Shake the glass. What came out? What came out of Ruth? Why grace to me? Her question. That's humility. She had humility. Her humble response is beautiful, because her humble attitude is beautiful. She has the beauty of humility. She has the beauty of thankfulness. She feels she doesn't deserve it. She didn't just wake up one morning and say, I feel humble. But she determined to be humble. She was in Israel because she had this determination to not drift back into Moab. She's humble because she has this determination to stay humble. And she says, you took knowledge of me. She says, why did you do that? You took knowledge of me. See, the Hebrew word technology of nakar, it means to scrutinize, look carefully. When they brought back to Jacob, Joseph's bloody coat all ripped up, and the son said to him, do you know this coat? It says, he knew it, nakar. It says, he scrutinized it. He looked it over, he says, I know it, it's my son's coat. An evil beast has destroyed him. That's the word she used. You scrutinized me. You looked and saw the condition that I was in. And after you did that, then you, you showed this grace. That's Mary. When the Mary of the mother of the Lord, when she said in Luke 148, he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. She's talking about that. That's the Nakar. And what did he do? What did God do when he looked at our lowest state? In 1 Samuel 2.8, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes. That's us. See, Psalm 102, 17, he will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. That's us. When we pray, oh God, save me a lost sinner, that's destitute. Psalm 136, 23, who remembereth us in our low estate, his mercy endures forever. Our sin, he put us in a low estate. We were in a low estate. Psalm 138, 6, so the Lord be high, yet he hath a respect unto the lowly. See, Isaiah 66, 2, for all these things hath my hand made, but to this man I'll look, even to him that's poor, contrite spirit, trembles at my word. And what did he do when he saw us in our low estate? He made him to be our sin offering for us. And he didn't even know any sin, that we, who do know sin, might be made the righteousness of God in him. So when we look at ourselves this morning, let's see ourselves, like Ruth saw herself, worthless, a sinner, 
and come to God with the words of Ruth. Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the life of Ruth, Lord. We thank you for how she, a Moabite, guides us. She guides us, Lord, to yourself. And so help us, Lord, that this week we might be guided to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Come meet Pam Tebow, Tim Tebow's mom, on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th at the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference presented by the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Pam Tebow will be speaking on homeschooling her five children, including Tim Tebow, and will worship with the musician and singer Michael Sanchez from The Voice, and hear from special speakers Kevin Conover from Educate for Life, Pat Roy, formerly of Jonathan Park, and CEO Tom Canner, president of the First Creation Museum and Friendship with God Bible radio teacher. Cost for the event is only $15 per day, and enjoy a Chick-fil-A lunch and fellowship with other homeschoolers. So invite your friends and register today for the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference with Pam Tebow at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.